You guys can have a seat. Thanks, Bianca. It's why we gather, because we don't want to forget. We don't want to forget the faithfulness of God, and it is so easy for us to forget the faithfulness of God. It's so easy for us as we go throughout the week and we live in a world that's constantly preaching bad news to us to forget the good news of the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, I was, um, okay, if I'm honest, I was scrolling Twitter this morning and there was uh, a great quote from Eugene Peterson that said that, um, and I'm going to butcher it probably, but that, that, God, that um, worship is God's strategy for releasing us from our preoccupation with ourselves and reminding us of his presence. And I think so often we can just be preoccupied with ourselves or we can be preoccupied with what's going on in our lives. We can be preoccupied with just the, the, the mundane things of life and, and we forget that God is present with us by his spirit. And so that's what we do when we come together. We remind each other and we remind ourselves uh, of that fact. So thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, if we haven't met, I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. If you guys are worshiping with us online as well, thank you guys uh, for worshiping with us online. We're continuing our series today, and we've got one more week next week uh, in this series called Come Holy Spirit. And what we're doing in this series is we're going through the first four chapters of the book of Acts, and we're seeing what does it look like when the Spirit comes upon the people of Jesus, as the Spirit descends on those first followers of Jesus and fills them, and frankly, as followers of Jesus today, fills us with the power and the presence of Jesus, and then sends us out to advance the kingdom of Jesus in his world. Now, I've been, I've been a pastor for a little over 10 years. Um, I've read lots of books about pastoral ministry. I've studied a lot about pastoral ministry. I've seen a lot of things in local church ministry. There are a lot of great quotes out there about being the church and living the Christian life, and there's, there's great things like that. But I do think one of my favorite quotes about the Christian life comes from the great pastor theologian Mike Tyson. Uh, Mike Tyson, who memorably said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Now, that's true in the boxing ring, but let's be honest, that's also true in life. Right? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And we think, yeah, I'm going along fine, I'm bobbing and weaving, and then something happens that completely lays us out. And that could be sickness, could be an unexpected diagnosis, that could be divorce, that could be the loss of a job, that could be the death of a loved one. And all of a sudden, we're flat on our back. The wind knocked out of us, and, and we can't even get back up on our feet. And, that, and that's not just true of us individually. That can also be true of us as a church. And, and how we respond to those moments, because those moments come for all of us in life. And so how we respond when we're laid flat out, when life leaves us trying to get back on our feet, that response determines the course of our life. And so today in Acts chapter 4, we're going to see how the early church responded when they metaphorically got punched and physically got punched in the mouth. Acts chapter 4 marks this, this turning point in the story of early Christianity. For the first time in the history of the church in Acts chapter 4, they begin to experience opposition. Everything was going along well. They were preaching sermons. Thousands of people were coming to faith in Jesus, joining the community. People were being healed. They were selling their possessions and giving them to anyone who had time need. Had need. The kingdom of God was coming on earth, and it looked like there was nothing that could stand in its way. And then the religious leaders in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 start to get jealous. 
And they arrest Peter and John and they throw them in prison and they threaten them with more severe punishment if they don't shut up about the gospel of Jesus. And that's where we pick up this week. We see how they responded to opposition. And in the midst, we need to ask ourselves, how will we face opposition? Not if, but when it comes our way. Whether that's opposition for our faith or whether that's just the unexpected, difficult, painful things that we walk through in life. How can we face these kinds of trials with confidence and joy and hope? And what you see in this passage today is that their first impulse was to pray. The the, the thing that enabled them to face opposition with courage and joy was the fact that they learned to depend on the sovereign God of the universe. Now, here's the thing. That probably doesn't seem very surprising. Like, like we're in church. Of course, the pastor is going to tell you that the answer is to pray. But what's so fascinating and so helpful about this passage is not just that they pray, but how they pray. That's what I want to look at today, how they pray. What do they focus on? Acts chapter 4. Starting at verse 23, here's what happened. When they, when Peter and John were released from prison, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, I think that this prayer here in Acts chapter 4 is a really useful model for us to use when opposition comes our way. And and there are two primary questions that I want to look at in this prayer today. Very simple questions. One, who do we pray to? And two, what do we pray for? Who do we pray to and what do we pray for? So first, who do we pray to? Now, in one sense, probably everybody can get these points here. Like, this is a softball. Who do they pray to? They pray to God. But the question is, which God? See, God is one of the most ambiguous terms in all of human language. People have all sorts of mutually exclusive ideas about who or what God is. So we don't just say we pray to God. We got to ask ourselves, who is this God to whom we're praying? Because that makes all the difference in how we pray. And the first thing that stands out if you look at this prayer is how long it takes them to actually get around to asking God for anything. They spend over half the prayer simply praising God for his sovereignty, reminding themselves of God's power and his sovereignty. And I think that's a really important model for us to follow, especially, especially when we're walking through hard times. Some of us 
treat God like my kids treat Alexa. Do you guys know who Alexa is? Uh, a couple years ago, we got one of those Alexa Echo Dot things from Amp. There it is right there. That's what, it, that's what it looks like. And so this thing sits somewhere in your house, and you can ask it all kinds of questions, and it'll Google it for you. Um, it'll play music for you. It, she'll tell you jokes. Um, it's actually kind of creepy because this thing is listening, you know, to everything going on in your house. But, but sometimes Tracy will use it for her shopping list, and she'll simply say, Alexa, add peanut butter to my shopping list, and Alexa will add peanut butter. But then, of course, what happens is my kids get in on the action. Alexa, add ice cream to my shopping list. Alexa, add a puppy to my shopping list. Alexa, add zombie blast Nerf guns to my shopping list. Like, I'm not making, these are actual things that were on our shopping list this week because our kids added them. And the thing is, that's the way some of us treat God. We treat God like Alexa. We talk to God like we're simply compiling our shopping list, and we forget that prayer is not first and foremost about getting things from God. Prayer is first and foremost about getting God. It's about a relationship with God. Because friends, regardless of what we are walking through, what we need most is not for God to change our circumstances. What we need most is for God to be with us in the midst of our circumstances. We need him to remind us who he is, and especially, especially when you walk through the hard times. Because you, you know this, if you've walked with Jesus long enough, there are some things that you walk through in life and nothing can fix it. And the only thing that gets you through it is remembering who God is and that he is with you in the midst of your struggles. That's why they spend the majority of their time praising God and expressing their confidence in him before they ever get to asking for anything. And so let's look. Let's look at what they say about God. First, the first thing they say, the first thing they remember is that he is the king of creation. The king of creation. Look at verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So they start off recognizing that the God to whom they pray is the very God who spoke the universe into existence, who is the sovereign Lord, the sovereign ruler over all creation, that there is not one maverick molecule in all the universe. There is not one cell of your body that is outside of his control. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, not one hair falls from our heads without him knowing it. The book of Hebrews says, Hebrews 1.3, that Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. In other words, he spoke the universe into existence, and it is his word, it is his speaking that continues to uphold the universe. The reason the planets spin on their axes, the reason photosynthesis continues to happen, the reason your lungs continue to inhale oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide is because Jesus says so. So they recognize that he is the one who has given them life and he's the one who sustains their lives. And this is fascinating. Not only is he the one who gave them life, he has given life to the very people who are opposing them. I mean, think about that. These religious leaders who were opposing the gospel and threatening the church, the only reason they were alive is because God had given them breath. The only reason they even had the ability to oppose the gospel was because Jesus had given them the ability to do so. And so they say, why would we be afraid of them? Why would we fear them? We fear God, not man. Our God has the power of life and death. He has the power over our life and death, and he has the power over all life and death. 
He's the king of creation. And then they go further. Not only the king of creation, he's the king of history. King of history, verse 25, who through the mouth of, your, of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, Notice what they're doing here. They're, they're praying the scriptures. They're quoting the Bible. They're quoting Psalm 2, and then they're applying it to their situation. They're letting the scriptures frame their understanding of world history in general and of their own lives in particular, and then they're praying in light of it. And, and the fact that they're praying the scriptures is what gives them confidence in prayer. Because they had confidence when they prayed that they weren't just praying to a figment of their imagination. They weren't just praying to a projection of themselves. They weren't just praying to a God that they had created in their own image. They were praying to the God who had clearly revealed himself in the scriptures. And sometimes if we're honest, prayer, we've talked about this, prayer can be difficult. Maybe it feels dry or boring. Sometimes we just wonder whether our prayers are even accomplishing anything. Sometimes our prayers lack joy and passion and confidence. Sometimes, if we're honest, the darkness is so thick that we don't even know how to pray. We've got to ask ourselves, do, do we want to have this kind of joyful confidence in our prayers that can endure in the face of anything that comes our way? If you want that, then memorize the word of God. Get the word of God into your heart and into your mind. And then don't let it stop there. Let it drive you to prayer. God's word is the fuel for confident and joyful prayer. And notice what they pray. Again, they're quoting Psalm 2. Now, if you read Psalm 2, Psalm 2 was all about how God would raise up his Messiah, his anointed king, and how the king would experience opposition and the nations would conspire together and would seek to destroy the king, would rage against the rightful rule of the Messiah. And they recognized that that's what was fulfilled in Jesus, that Jesus is the one who experienced this opposition and triumphed over, over it. And what that means is that the death of Jesus was not a surprise. It had been prophesied hundreds of years earlier in the Psalms. It was all part of God's plan of bringing redemption to the world. So he's not just the king of creation, and he's not just the king of history. He's the king of redemption. King of redemption. Look at verse 27. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do, I love this, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God had anointed Jesus as the king. And Herod and Pilate and the Romans and the leaders of Israel, they all conspired together to put him to death. They did their best to oppose the redemptive work of God. They did their best to resist the kingdom of God, but they only ended up doing what God had already predestined to take place. The cross was not an accident. It was the divinely ordained plan of God. Now, now just think about that for a minute. The murder of the Son of God is the most heinous act of evil that the world has ever seen. For, for the creatures to kill the Creator, to, to kill the very person who gave them life, for the guilty to condemn the innocent, for sinful rebels to crucify the righteous King, that is the depths of evil. And yet it is also the ultimate triumph of good. Behind the schemes of evil men was the grace of a merciful God. 
Listen, the cross is not merely the triumph of good over evil. The cross is the ultimate triumph of good through evil. And don't miss the logic of their prayer. This isn't just like a nice little piece of theological trivia for them. Like, oh, cool, isn't it cool how God did that? This doesn't just inform the way they think about the suffering of Jesus. This redefines the way they think about their own suffering. Because if God was sovereign over the suffering of his son, then he is also sovereign over the suffering of his people. If God used the suffering of Jesus for the salvation of his people, then he will use our suffering for for our good and for the good of the whole world. Some of you are facing hard times right now. Health struggles, job struggles, relationship struggles, grief and pain and loss. And like, I'm not God. I can't pretend to know all the reasons for what you're going through. And the fact is that you may never know all those reasons either. But what I can tell you is that we have a God who knows what suffering is like. A God who suffered with us and a God who suffered for us. We have a God with scars. And and, and when he was suffering on that cross, it looked like all hope had been lost. But three days later, he came up out of that grave and his death brought us life. The sovereignty of God over the suffering of Jesus shows us that our suffering is not meaningless. And that even when you feel like God is killing you, he might be making you more alive than ever before. So trust him. Trust him. You you might not know what he's doing or why he's doing, but hold on to those nail-scarred hands. Some of us, we're, we're, we're worried about the future. Some of us We're actually worried about the past. Some of us are filled with regret right now. Maybe because of something you've done. Maybe because of something that's been done to you. And so you look back at your life and you wonder, how would life have been different if I hadn't made that decision? How would things be better if that hadn't happened to me? And listen, it's okay to be honest about those questions. We've got those might have beens and those should have beens and those could have beens and they keep us awake at night and they haunt us. And even though we try to crowd them out, they keep crashing back in. And you try to dismiss it, and you, and, but you just can't. And they tell us you're supposed to move on. But if you've ever really experienced true pain, you know that moving on isn't that easy. And as I've wrestled with those realities in my own life, the only thing that gives me confidence is the cross of Christ. And specifically the fact that God was absolutely sovereign over Jesus' death. Because when I realize that God used the most unjust, evil act in human history for the greatest good of humanity, then that bolsters my faith that nothing I have endured or will endure is in vain. No suffering No pain, no loss, no mistakes, no failure, friends. Nothing is wasted. He is using all of it for your good and for his glory. And so in the midst of whatever struggle or heartache or fear you have, remember who you're praying to. You're praying to the king of creation. You're praying to the king of history. You're praying to the king of redemption. And here's the thing I want to encourage you with. Don't wait until you experience those hard times to remind yourself of those truths. Because hard times come for all of us at some point in our lives. And we've got to be ready to face them. And if you want to be ready to face them, then what we have to do is cultivate an awareness of the sovereignty of God. 
Remind yourself that he's the king of creation. So practically, that might mean a beautiful day like today. Get outside. See the glory of the creator in his creation. Go down to Point Gratiot. Look over the, the vastness of the lake. Look at the power of the waves. Remind yourself that God is sovereign over that. Go out some clear evening. Look up at the stars. Remind yourself by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their starry host. My son Josiah is, is really into uh, to studying planets right now. And so we talk about this all the time. Who made Venus and Neptune and Jupiter and Earth? And they tell me Pluto's not even a planet anymore, but God made Pluto. He made all of them. He spoke it into existence. He loves watching these YouTube videos about these prehistoric sharks, like Megalodon and Liviaton. But, but, but the book of Job says that those great sea monsters are like pets to our God. So, so watch Read, study about nature. Do, do you know that modern science came out of the Protestant Reformation? Because the reformers taught that nature was a theater that displays the glory of God. So spend some time in nature, in this theater that displays the greatness and the glory and the sovereignty of God. Remind yourself that he's the king of creation. And don't stop there. Remind yourself that he's the king of history familiarize yourself with the story of the Bible. Soak yourself in the scriptures. Christianity is a historical faith. It's grounded in something that happened in history. Maybe even read some church history and see how God has sovereignly worked through broken people to accomplish his purposes in history. Meditate on the scriptures. Memorize the scriptures. The scriptures are the true story of the world. They show us how God is the king of history. And also remember that he is the king of redemption. Spend time meditating on the cross. Remember how God took the most horrendous act of evil ever committed and used it for the greatest good imaginable. Even spend some time thinking about your own life. Remember the faithfulness of God. Trace the hand of God through your journey. How has he worked in the good and the bad and the ugly to draw you to himself? How has he shown himself faithful even when you've been unfaithful to him? Remember who you pray to. We pray to the sovereign king of creation and history and redemption. And then secondly, look at this. What do we pray for? What do we pray for? First, notice what they do not pray for. They don't pray that God would make the trial stop. They don't pray that God would make the opposition go away. They don't pray for a change in circumstances. Now, now it is not wrong to pray for a change in circumstances, but that's also not what we need the most. Whatever we're facing, what we need most is for God to be with us in the midst of those circumstances. And specifically, we pray that God would give us boldness to speak the word in the midst of trials. That's the first thing they pray for. They pray for boldness to speak the word. Look at verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They say, Lord, you know about these threats. You know what we're facing right now. This doesn't take you by surprise. So help us to speak the gospel boldly in the face of these threats. We know this isn't an accident. We know that you were sovereign over the suffering of Jesus. And we know that you are sovereign over our suffering. So we trust you to take care of us. Help us to continue to trust you and honor you by opening our mouths and speaking the good news of Jesus. So they pray for boldness to speak the word and they pray for power to validate the word. 
Verse 29 again, and now, Lord, look upon their threats, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They don't just want the ability to speak the word with boldness. They want God to demonstrate the truth of the gospel with power. All throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus demonstrated the validity of his message by his ability to heal and perform miracles. His power was proof that he was who he said he was. And here in the book of Acts, remember what's happening. Jesus is continuing his ministry through his followers. So they're asking him to do the same thing. They're asking him to validate the message through acts of divine power. The power of Jesus to heal the body points to his power to heal all of who we are, a healing that we ultimately experience in his death and resurrection. And so these temporal healings point to the fact that one day Jesus will completely heal us body and soul. So we pray for that power. We pray that the Lord would combine the preaching of his word with power. Let's pray that, that God would give us boldness to clearly speak his word. And let's pray that he would accompany the preaching of his word with power. However that might look. That might look like physical healing. That might look like emotional healing. That might look like relational healing. That might look like the healing that comes when someone experiences freedom from addiction or some enslaving sin. That might look like marriage is resurrected and hope restored. It might look a million different ways, but let's ask God for it. Like, let's ask for him to cry, let's cry out for him to move in power because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, the kingdom of God is not merely a matter of talk, but of power. And so, Let's pray for boldness to preach, and, and let's pray that God would display his resurrecting power. That's what they prayed for, and, and look, God heard their prayer. Look what happened, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Even in the midst of opposition, even in the face of threats, even in the reality of suffering, they continued to speak the word with boldness. See, the place was shaken, but they were not. In fact, the more the world around them shook, the more firmly they stood. Now, now why? Like, like, where do you find the strength to stand firm when everything else is shaking? You will not find it in yourself you won't find it in your circumstances. You won't find it in a new relationship or a new job or a new income bracket. You will only find it in the power and the presence of Jesus living inside of you. And you'll find it in the good news of Jesus Christ crucified and risen for you. Because the reality is that even when he was shaken to the core, even when he was killed on that cross and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even when it looked like all hope was lost, he was bringing salvation to the world through his death and resurrection. That's the confidence that the early church had. That's the confidence that enabled them to turn the world upside down. 
And as you continue to read the book of Acts, you find that the Spirit continues to empower the followers of Jesus to take this good news, this word, to the end of the earth. You read about this persecution that they experienced. You read about how it became more and more and more intense. You read about how some of them paid for it with their lives. And yet at the same time, if you read the book of Acts, you read this other refrain that keeps showing up over and over and over again. Over and over again, Luke says, the word of the Lord continued to increase and multiply. The word of the Lord continued to increase and multiply. No matter how vehemently it was opposed, no matter how intensely they were persecuted, the gospel of Jesus triumphed by the power of the spirit of Jesus. And friends, we have that same spirit. We have that same word. So let's not settle for small ambitions or small expectations. Jesus has called us to be part of taking his salvation to our neighborhoods and to the nations. God has placed his spirit within us. He has given us his gospel, and he has sent us into the world to proclaim his word with his power. And that's something worth giving our lives for. So let's pray that God would give us boldness to declare his gospel in the power of his spirit for his glory and the good of Chautauqua County. And, and let's expect that he's going to do great things through us as we speak his word with boldness. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the sovereign Lord. Thank you that there's nothing outside of your control. Not one thing that happens in our lives, not one thing that happens in all the world is outside of your control. That you're the sovereign Lord over all of it, and you are moving all of it for your plan of redemption. To bring the good news of Jesus to every tribe and tongue and nation. Thank you for the way that you've worked in our lives. Thank you for the way that you have drawn us to yourself. God, help us not to forget. It's so easy for us to forget that. Help us to remember your goodness, that you are the sovereign Lord who is with us and who is for us, and who is never walking away from us, no matter what we're walking through. And Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness, boldness to believe your word, first of all, boldness to, to trust in you, whatever we are walking through, and then boldness to speak your word. And Lord, we pray that you would show your glory by moving in power in our lives, in the small ways and in the big ways, that you would show your glory as this gospel goes out to Chautauqua County and to all the ends of the earth. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus Christ is our living hope. Jesus Christ is our only hope. But when every other hope has been taken away, he's the only hope we need. He's the one who died and who rose again, who conquered sin and death and hell itself. And even in the midst of our suffering, we know that he is with us and he is for us. And that suffering is not the last word because resurrection is coming. So my prayer is that whatever you're experiencing, whatever you're walking through or will walk through, that you would know that this God, this risen King is with you this week. If you've got questions about that, if you want to explore that, maybe you're not sure if you believe that. I would love to, to speak with you about that. Um, or maybe you're just walking through something. You're like, I just need people to pray with me. I need people to walk with me. Um, we would love, even as Jesus walks with you, we as his body want to walk with Thirdly, you. Our key verse this week, it's actually the same as last week. Because when we talk about this um, 
speaking this word with boldness. This is kind of a really good encapsulation of that message that we preach, that the church has always preached. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And so spend some time this week. Like I said, let's get the word of God into our hearts and our minds. That's what bolsters us with whatever we're walking through. And so take some time uh, to chew on that this week. Um, Next announcement, I believe, is for next week. Next week is July 4th. We will not be having in-person gatherings. Um, We're going to start a a rhythm periodically of having renewal Sundays to give our teams a a break. Um, But also, uh, especially on days like this, we're sure there's a lot of other things going on. And so we want to gather online. And so um, I'll be recording my sermon. We'll still be worshiping together online, but there will be no in-person gatherings uh, next week, Sunday, July 4th. And then when we come back together on Sunday, July 11th, we're going to be starting our summer schedule. Um, So we're going to have one service, 10 a.m. During the summertime, um, a lot of people travel and things like that, so attendance tends to be a little lower. Um, The state has lifted the the distancing restrictions, and so we think it would be a good time for us to be able to get back together and once you'll be able to see people you haven't seen in a long time, and we're excited to be able to worship together at least through the months of July and August. Uh, This is our summer schedule, so we'd love to see you guys and to have you guys worship with us at 10 a.m. starting on July 11th. All right, let's stand and let's receive our benediction. This is another reminder, another reminder that God raised Jesus from the dead. The suffering of Jesus was not the last word, and your suffering will not be the last word either from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Have a great week.